Friends, welcome to Word on Fire Catholic Ministries. Word on Fire is an apostolate dedicated to the mission of evangelization, using media both old and new to share the faith on every continent and to facilitate an encounter with Christ and His Church. The efforts of Word on Fire engage the culture and bring the transformative power of God's Word where it is most needed. Today, we invite you to join Bishop Robert Barron as he preaches the gospel and shares the warmth and light of Christ with each one of us. Peace be with you. Friends, I want to focus this weekend on our second reading, which is taken from Paul's magnificent first letter to the Corinthians. You know, by the way, when you have a chance this week, take out your New Testament and find uh, 1 Corinthians, one of Paul's really great letters. You can read it easily in one sitting, so take a look at it. But the passage for this uh, weekend has to do with a theme that has been central to my ministry for many years, and which ought to be central to every baptized Christian, at least if the last you know, four or five popes have been right. I'm talking, of course, about evangelization. Listen now to Paul as he speaks to the little church he had founded in Corinth. If I preach the gospel, there is no reason for me to boast, for an obligation has been imposed on me, and woe to me if I do not preach it. That's so authentically the voice of Paul, too, by the way, isn't it? You can, you can hear his voice. If I preach the gospel, there's no reason for me to boast. For an obligation has been imposed upon me, and woe to me if I do not preach it. Basically, Paul is explaining himself to his audience. He's telling them and us what he's about. He's identifying the center around which everything else in his life revolves. And what is it? It's preaching the gospel. Okay, preaching seems clear enough, but what is the gospel when Paul uses that term? His word here is euangelion in Greek. EU always has a sense of good, like euthanasia means a good death, right? So euangelion, angelos, is a messenger. So euangelion is a good message. It's good news. Glad tidings. Now, this term would have had a lot of resonances for Paul's audiences. Keep in mind, Paul is speaking uh, first to the Jewish diaspora. He's going around probably first to synagogues where Jews uh, gather in the you know lands outside of Israel. And then he's also speaking to what they called God-fearers, who'd be Gentiles who were respectful of the Jewish uh, uh, scriptures. So he's speaking to a Jewish and Greco-Roman world, right? Those, all those cultures coming together. And this word, euangelion, would have had resonances in all those different uh, settings. Jews might have heard echoes of Isaiah's, how beautiful upon the mountains the feet of those who bring good news, right, from Isaiah 52. How beautiful upon the mountains the feet of those who bring glad tidings. What was that but a reference to the liberation of Israel from captivity in Babylon? 
So the word's going out. The messenger comes with the word that, hey, the exiles have been freed. They're coming back. How, how wonderful, how beautiful upon the mountain, the feet of those who carry this glad tidings. So his Jewish audience probably would have heard an overtone of that. Those influenced by the Greco-Roman culture would have heard an echo of the emperor's announcement of a military victory. So after a great conquest, the emperor would send out evangelists who would carry the euangelion, the glad tidings of his triumph. So bring those two together. If, if Paul's speaking to a Jewish and Greco-Roman audience and, and they're kind of mixing and mingling together, we might conclude he's talking about the declaration of a victory that brings with it liberation from captivity. So I, I'm, I'm under obligation. Woe to me if I do not evangelize means woe to me if I don't declare this victory which has brought with it liberation from captivity. Now, what does that mean for Paul? It means the dying and the rising of Jesus. How come? Because on the cross, Jesus faced down the powers of the world, both visible and invisible. He allowed them to wash over him, to overwhelm him. But then in the resurrection, he broke them, he conquered them, he relativized them. Think here again of the Roman cross. There was no better symbol of the oppressive power of Rome. If you got on the wrong side of Rome, that's what they would do to you. And it terrified the world. Jesus on that cross is overwhelmed by the dark power of the world. But then in the resurrection, he breaks it, relativizes it. As I've said before, that's the, the beauty of Paul saying, I, I preach one thing, Christ and him crucified. Why is he holding up the cross? Because it's been defeated. A great victory has been won. And now we are liberated from the powers. In light of this, we look at a passage uh, from Colossians with fresh eyes. It's in the second chapter of Colossians. Paul says, the dominions and powers he robbed of their prey, he put them on public display, led them away in triumph. It's beautiful, isn't it? He's referencing something which people in his time would have known, namely the victory parade of a Roman general in which the leaders of a conquered people would be paraded publicly in chains, right? How edgy this is in, in Paul's uh, mouth now, that Christ has won a victory over sin, over death, over the devil, and now, like a conquering general, he makes a public show of them. I've got them in chains now. They don't have us in chains. That's the gospel, everybody. It's a victory which has brought about a liberation. So declaring this liberating victory is what Paul's life is all about. It's his obsession. It's his preoccupation. It's what drives him on and on. Woe to me if I do not evangelize. You know, notice something here, everybody. How outward looking this is. 
See, the church by its very nature evangelizes. It goes out to the ends of the world with this good news. Think of Paul, you know, who's from Tarsus in southeastern present-day Turkey, educated in Jerusalem, so in the context of Israel. So he's kind of a little narrow space there where he moved. But once he meets Jesus, he starts just careening around the world. He's going as fast and as far as the technology of the time could take him. He ends up in Rome, but he longed to go to Spain. It's this outward move now to tell the world the good news. And woe to him if he doesn't do it. Woe to us if we fail to do it. Think here now, to bring it up to date, of Pope Francis' rhetoric about a self-referential church, a church caved in around itself. That's what we don't want. The church goes out. Pope Francis has this wonderful image of, you know, the, the oil of anointing on a priest is meant to run down his head and onto his garment, even to the fringes of his garment, because that, uh, that oil is meant to anoint the world. And he said it, it becomes rancid if it doesn't go out. Well, that's Paul, isn't it? Woe to me if I don't evangelize. I don't tell the world. Okay, so how precisely does Paul do this evangelical work? Listen to him now. I have made myself a slave to all so as to win over as many as possible. <laughs> That's, again, typical of him. You can hear his voice. His life is not about aggrandizing his ego. It's not about fostering his career. It's not about making money or finding independence or becoming famous, all the things that we think are important. Just the contrary. He submits himself to everyone so as to communicate the good news. He's the slave of all. My, my whole being is simply to announce the, the gospel to you. And then this wonderful, I think, very practical observation. He says, to the weak, I became weak to win over the weak. I become all things to all to save at least some. There, there's Paul's method, isn't it? I'm not going to lord it over the weak. That's a worldly thing. No, no, I want to reach the weak with the message of Christ, so I'll become weak. I'll move in their space. To Jews, he moved into a Jewish space. The Greeks, he moved into a Greek space. I become all things to all to save at least some. You know, I think of those wonderful stories told about St. Francis Xavier, very much in the spirit of Paul, one of the great evangelizers in the history of the church. When he was working in India, he lived in poverty, dressed in rags, poured dirt on his head. Now, why? He wasn't trained that way in, in Europe, in Spain, or in Paris. But he knew that in India, that's how spiritual people uh, behaved. And so he became, you know, he became an Indian for the sake of the Indians. He did what they did. Now, look a little while later, his spiritual successor, Matteo Ricci, he was working among the Chinese. So what did he do? Live in poverty and put dirt in his head? No, the Chinese would have, would have looked with disdain on that. Rather, he wore fine silks and fine clothes because that's the way spiritual people were expected to look. Becoming, as Paul puts it, all things to all, to save at least some. 
See, this kind of clarity follows from a lack of ambiguity regarding the mission to announce the good news to as many as possible. Okay, so what lessons can we garner from all this? First, I think most importantly, we need to organize our lives around evangelization. Everything else we do ought to be related somehow to evangelization. Now, mind you, it doesn't mean we all have to become professional evangelizers. It does mean that nothing in our lives ought to be more important than announcing the victory of Jesus. Second lesson, we should think of others not as objects to be used or annoying people in the way of realizing our projects, but rather as our masters, those to whom we are subject. Instead of saying, why, why is this annoying person in my way? We should ask, what opportunity for evangelization has presented itself? Has God put this person in my life precisely for this purpose? You know, remember, you evangelize by your explicit words, yes, but also by the moral quality of your life in a thousand different ways. And finally, follow the Pauline instinct. Becoming weak with the weak, strong with the strong, despised with the despised, becoming all things to all people. Go in their door. Don't impose the good news from on high, but rather stoop down and enter humbly into the world of the person you want to evangelize. If it means riches, so be it. If it means rags, so be it. If it means moving out of your comfort zone, so be it. So take out 1 Corinthians, everybody. Find this passage and meditate upon it as a sort of theoretical and practical guide for evangelization. And God bless you. Thank you for listening to this week's homily from Bishop Robert Barron. For more resources from Bishop Barron, please visit wordonfire.org.